Welcome to New York City Meets Bama. I'm your host, Chris Merriman. I'm Katerina. Today we have a special guest named Paul Fink. You might recognize that last name, but he's a business coach and entrepreneur and does a lot for uh, other people's personal development, and mine included. So we're excited to see what all he can bring to us today and help everybody out with their journey. We all know being an entrepreneur is hard and comes with lots of mental challenges and confidence struggles. For me, I dealt with imposter syndrome and found that talking to someone has helped me find myself and strengthen my confidence. It can be difficult to navigate it on your own. Now, because of professional therapists, you don't have to. And that's why I'm excited to tell you about today's sponsor, BetterHelp. BetterHelp can give you tools to approach your life in a very different way. No matter where you are, you can talk to a professional therapist that fits your unique needs and an affordable cost. Just fill out a few questions and BetterHelp can match you to a professional therapist in just days. Put yourself first and use BetterHelp services today and you will receive 10% off your first month of BetterHelp. Use the link in the description below this show. You deserve to be happy too. Use the link betterhelp.com slash NYC meets Bama. Again, betterhelp, H-E-L-P slash NYC meets Bama. BetterHelp wants all of you to be as successful as possible and help you reach your fullest potential. Connect with the therapist today. Hi, Dad. Hi. <laughs> Chris, I think I helped both of you with your personal development. Just saying. <laughs> Hi, guys. Such a pleasure to be here. And uh, so amazing with your podcast and all your success. So thrilled. Appreciate it, Paul. And uh, I don't know what you would want to dive into first, man. I think uh, everybody needs to hear your story just so they get to know a little bit about you and why we decided to bring you on to the podcast, besides the fact that your cat's dad. There you go. The whole story is huge because I was talking to somebody recently and we talked about segments of life and like, oh, you know, how many lives do you have? And most people have like three, four, five, like they call <laughs> lives. And I started calculating and like one, two, three. I'm on like eight or nine already and I've got another 10 to go. So kind of chapters in life. So this chapter started about 21 years ago when I had the last set of twins. Katerina is... One of my daughters that is part of the middle set, and yes, I've got three sets of twins, six children, and that was the catalyst to get me off my ass, if you will, to get going, to get moving and create more. I was an entrepreneur for the last 36 years and yet did okay, did six figures and felt like that was enough, and yet uh, then I had six children and went, oh my gosh. <laughs> Maybe there's a lot more I need to accomplish here and stepped up my game. And it's what most people, I think, struggle with is reaching their fullest potential, recognizing that there's 10 times more inside of them that they haven't let out yet. And we're all still on that progressive journey to say, what more is there? Is it, Do I have more to deliver? And uh, that's what I've been doing for the last 16 years is helping people all around the world reach our fullest potential, to continue to, to strive to understand that there's more inside of them that they can bring to the table. 
what made you make that transition for yourself? What told you that there was uh, more that you could do, more performance that you could have and create there? For me, it, like I said, it was the six children. It was the catalyst that, all right, to provide an abundance for six children. We'd already created a lifestyle, and then four more children came into my life. And with that, it was how do we sustain or improve the lifestyle that we already have with this extra expenses, time, resources, grab, if you will. And yep. so that motivation only... so. Not everyone has six children, although it really would help with your success, let me tell you. Oh, absolutely, yeah. We'll look into that. We'll take that on the list of things to do, yeah. Is that right? Really? <laughs> We're working on it, Paul. Have you guys talked about this? Because Katarina may say yes to this, so be aware of what you're, oh, yeah, I already what you're asking for, Chris. Wait. Yeah, I already want six kids. I don't. But he told me he wants like 20 children, so that's like... I just perfect. want an army, that's all. We need an island and an army. That's it. That's it. I talk about building teams, and and so I built my own from scratch. (laughs) That's that's how you do it. Uh, So what about, you know, with all entrepreneurs, right? We go through phases. We go through cycles. You're you're on the incline. You finally get to where you're stabilized, and then all of a sudden you start declining or falling off, and you're not pushing for growth anymore. So once you were able to feed your six kids and your wife and everybody was – pretty happy like you were living a pretty solid lifestyle what pushed you to keep going what made you make the decision that there was still more out there there's a couple things that plays into that one is to recognize that since the beginning of time the philosophers have all told us you're either growing or you're dying you're either moving forward you're either moving toward your dream life or you're moving away and there is no such thing as sustaining There's no such thing as just, oh yeah, I got to a certain level and I'm just going to hold at that level. You're either growing or you're dying. There's a thing called attrition in business and in life. And everything has attrition. And what that means is when you're doing nothing, you're constantly losing. When you're doing nothing, you have cells that are dying off. When you're doing nothing, you have clients that are closing out their accounts with you. When you're doing nothing, your business is starting to shrink. So it's that understanding, first of all, that you do nothing, attrition's going to happen, and you're going to go slowly but surely downward. The second piece of that is understanding that there's more inside and I say that and I've been really reflective on that for the last several years is when COVID hit and we kind of got side whacked, if you will. And most people in the world did like, this wasn't supposed to happen. This isn't normal. I didn't plan for this. And so then I went into reflective mode. Well, how do I make sure that that downward cycle or that being side whacked doesn't happen again? And that means constantly looking for those new opportunities and recognizing that there was more inside of me that I wanted to leave as a legacy. You know, once your bills are paid, which can happen for most people very quickly, there's then the rest of the story, which is what's your legacy? What's your purpose? What is your vision that's the hundred year plan, not just the next month plan? if you will. You know, how did the Great Wall of China get built? It it wasn't through someone planning out, you know, how do I build a wall today? It was, 
How do we build a wall that lasts forever, that's seen from the gods? And that's how you plan life. I, uh, I am 58 now, actually 59. Oh my gosh, I just turned 59. <laughs> oh my God, and... you're almost 60. <laughs> Thanks, honey. Thanks. Really appreciate that. <laughs> and for me, that's only just a number because I keep on moving forward. I started when I was 50 years old with the mantra, one half century down, two more to go. I've only just begun. So I've got another 100 years to plan on. And with that comes the bigger dreams, the bigger aspirations, the bigger understanding of, you know, I'm not just looking to survive for the next 10 years. I'm looking to build a platform to lean on for the next 100. That's a big deal. Yeah, that's super powerful because I know I suffer from that attrition rate so aggressively, right? If you're not inclining, you're always going for the decline. There is no such thing as sustaining because the other times I thought I was sustaining or going to head towards semi-retirement or something, it automatically just started going downhill. Yeah, so there's retirement is not something that should be into the vocabulary. I got to ask you a question. What does retirement mean or even semi-retirement? What is that? So I got to a point where I was very comfortable paying my bills, and I had been beat up, like thrown down, run through the mud, and I was like, okay, we're stable. We can you know, just live life now. So let the business run itself is where we got to. But then what? Well, that was the problem. The then what came about six months later. <laughs> right. You see, here's the thing. And I've gone through some phases where doing really well, kind of sat back on my laurels. And after a short period of time, sitting on the beach – doesn't have its same appeal. You know, the first week, second week, even the first month or second month, maybe. But you do six months where you're like, yay, I'm in retirement. Man, you're either growing or you're dying, and that's with life too. If you don't have purpose, if you don't have direction, there used to be some strong stats I leaned into, and I haven't looked at it recently, only for men, this was really big deal is that when men for retirement and when we had much more of a traditional life where people would go for a job, go for a career, work it for 30 years, 40 years, and then retire, past retirement, the mortality rate for men was three to five years. Like, why would you ever retire? Like, get real. Because here was the key. They lost their purpose. They had been driven by one direction, one goal for 40 years, and then that stops abruptly. And they yep. had nothing else to live for. And if you're not living, you're dying. And it goes for your purposeful intent as well. So never talk about semi-retirement. It's a fool's game. It means three to five years of enjoyment and you're dead. That's not <laughs> the way we want to live. That is it, yeah. And for anybody out there listening right now, uh, Paul Fink is one of my mentors, and we go through things like this. We actually have weekly calls and uh, you know quarterly meetups because this attrition rate is common. Whether you're looking towards retirement or you just are start declining and falling off on your systems and process and buildup of your company, it's uh it's pretty impactful. So I get to spend another extra little hour here with you. But so some of the things that you taught me during all this was. That one, obviously, how to systemize and, and build out the systems for my business that we've been diligently working on. But as well, like the dispersonality uh, test that you brought me through has really impacted the way I'm able to communicate with my team and scale us rapidly. That's something that not a lot of people are trained in on. Can we dive into that a little bit just so the viewers get a little um, explanation on what that means and how they utilize it to build their company? Yeah, absolutely. And 
for all of you, we do a three-day boot camps that I train on all around the country where we go into this in much more detail. So you like this type of training and understanding, come to the three-day boot camp, come spend more time with us. The idea of uh, this DISC assessment, and there are a lot of different assessments out there that break up the population into a few segments that make it easy for us to grab hold of and categorize people. And so there'll be a segment of people that are more directive and bottom line oriented. There'll be a segment of people that are more fun loving and having a great time. And that's their focus every day. And then there's <laughs> Katerina. And then there are the people that are more contributors and family oriented and want to do team collaborative play and making sure that everybody's happy and everyone's taken care of and they look out for our society. And then there are people that are really analytical, detail-oriented. They want facts. They want details. They want spreadsheets. And when you look at those different categories, they have different values, different principles. And one of the key components that I teach on, which tends to be a little bit deeper than where most people go with this information, is not just about identifying you and isn't that nice. It's about then how do you communicate with others? With the people that want more information, you communicate them with detailed information. With those that want the fun and the excitement, you have some fun with them and you kind of tease and spar with them and have a little excitement and adventure with loud music and rah-rah. And then those people that want bottom line, you talk about the results that you're going to create, et cetera, et cetera. That becomes really key in communication, empowering people and communicating with them in the way and here's the golden rule. We used to think the golden rule was he who has the gold makes the rules. No, no, no. We used to say he who the golden rule of do unto others as you would want them to do unto you. No, no, no. The real golden rule is do unto others as they would want done unto them. And that's what DISC training is all about is that you identify what they want and then you show up for them. And that's really key. Yeah, it's super powerful. I now have my whole team's disc profile on my wall in my office because my immediate response as a D is just direct to the results, like what's going on. But you got to remember who has different emotions and how they want the information laid out to them. Like even Kat had to take a disc personality test before we started dating. Like it's that important to me now. <laughs> like, so as someone that grew up with Paul, my dad, I would say that this definitely impacted me and how I even communicate to my peers and also to Chris. So we take this into consideration when we talk to each other and how how we're kind of positioning ourselves to them. So when Chris is in like complete work mode, I know whatever he's thinking or however he reacts isn't towards me. It's because he wants to finish his project or just focus on work and not be interrupted. It's not to me where he's like trying to hurt me in any way it's just he's yeah. focused and because he's a d personality and i'm an i and i <laughs> want the attention in the party all the time so Always. it's definitely helped like not just with a professional point of view but also personal point of view so just to add that for our viewers as I well i would say katarina and one of the things that i reflect on and i teach in in other arenas and sometimes when you're not around is how it impacted your relationship with your siblings and our relationship with all of you. 
Oh, and, that's so true. And it's one of those things that we have with eight people in the household, a ton of different personality types. And one of the things that can be really disheartening is when you don't understand where the other person's coming from and you expect them to act like you. So when you, Katerina, especially when you were young, you were even a higher eye than you are now. And that fun loving and excitement and rah, rah, rah. And then you talk to your younger brothers who are very much analytical based. And they'd be sitting there with no emotion and you'd be like, come on, come on, come on, come on. Like a Labrador retriever going into their face. And they'd be like, and that dichotomy Unless you understand where each is coming from, it's so easy to start judging and condemning one behavior over another. And it's one of the things that I believe we transferred to all of you and something that I reflected on is that, especially with mommy and daddy being uh, high, high results oriented and high energy with that fun loving personality, it was understanding that they didn't have to smile they were still being happy and they were still having fun and i didn't have to force them to be smiling all the time or force you to be like all right put your feet on the ground it's okay we don't have to be high energy all the time that we didn't have that judgment in the house and uh i know that you're interviewing me but i, I would love to hear like how did that experience work with you yeah, I mean, it's exactly the way you described it. I felt like before I understood the DIS test, I didn't really understand my brothers at all. I didn't know how to talk to them. I thought they were a little weird, and I thought they just didn't like me. So I never really spoke to them much. But then once I understood that and understood how to talk to them and how they would respond back and yeah. what interests them and stuff like that, it completely changed our relationship and... We now talk and communicate in the way that we both right. can receive. And they kind of changed a little bit, too. They're a little bit more party people, too, now. <laughs> so <laughs> hurts. Depends go. on how many shots you're in them before they change. Now, now. <laughs> You're over no, 21. No. Don't worry. I think the key is that once you understand someone and you're able to talk to with them in the language pattern that they want to receive in, you then can influence, persuade, and move people to a commonality. And I think that's a real important aspect of this, that, that you learn to communicate with them. And so then they became more connected to you. And thus, you were able to influence some of that as well. And there's, there's that understanding. That's the cornerstone of communication. So much of what we teach and what I teach people is that communication, that awareness, that methodology on how to move from... We're opposite and we don't know what to do with one another. We don't know how to communicate to actually being collective and communicating and, and collaborative. Yeah, I'm super happy we went through that because that's been a super powerful game changer for me, whether it's in your relationship, communicating with your team, even increasing sales in the business. Like, So for anybody that's new to the channel, I'm an avid real estate investor. That's, that's what our primary source of income is right now. And uh, Paul, can we go into sort of what attracted me to you originally, right? I, I went to your three-day boot camp, and that's how we originally met. And uh, you, can we dive into your... <laughs> I, I, oh, yeah. I mean, I, I, for I those that, that want to know the real story, listen to episode one and then. Yeah, yeah, we dive into that a little bit. <laughs> Whole another backstory. Yeah. <laughs> Chris became my client 
first and then became the interested party with Katerina. Yeah, and, you can imagine uh, the dichotomy of that relationship. Paul was a little distraught. Uh, he's going to have to admit it. <laughs> I, no, distraught isn't the term. It is. What's the term? Uh, cautiously aware. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Cautiously aware. I like aware. it. <laughs> so, oh, you were but, saying, so, what attracted you to work with yeah. me? So you had worked with a lot of my mentors. I think probably whenever I met you, I'd already spent you know well over $100,000 in education, all directed towards real estate. And the people that you'd worked with prior were tons of my mentors. So can you tell everybody a little bit about your real estate investing background and sort of how you helped other people in real estate or in sales build out their yeah. businesses and their programs and obviously their events and things like that too? Yeah, I've been in sales for 36 years. I started off straight commission sales, consultative selling in the medical field uh, way back when I first graduated from college. So my sales um, training was high core, midtown Manhattan, consultative selling, door knocking, really understand sales and the, the nuance of sales at a deep level. Then I got into real estate investing about 21 years ago and started taking every course under the sun. So I'm a product of the product. I ran to the back of the room for every program there was. And as I built my portfolio and got successful, I started connecting up with different mentors, got connected one in particular that introduced me to the speaker arena and became a speaker, coach, and trainer for a lot of real estate investors was really my cornerstone originally. I became a, I was an investor, then I became a realtor, then I became a mortgage broker. So I know all sides of the real estate game, both commercial and residential. When I moved through and became a speaker, one of the things that happened was I began to analyze the sales process for the speakers that were selling coaches and training and everything else and learned it at a high level on how to move people from point A to point B, if you will, and started a, and founded a speaker support business where I supported some of the top names in real estate game, if you will. All the gurus out there know of me and we've, I've worked with dozens of them in running their rooms and helping them move the sales process from start to finish in consultative selling live at the events to understanding how to structure the programs, systematize them and move them to fruition from A to B. And now we've done over 250 boot camps all around the world. We've sold every program there is from a $100 program all the way up to a $100,000 program and everything in between and learning how to structure those. We work with a ton of speakers and coaches in building out their process, building out their platforms, and building out their programs so that there's a, a real continuity as a company and a sustainability and a high level of success to bring people to six, multi-six-figure and seven-figure incomes in the speaker world as well. Yeah, so like my company and what we do is a lot different than that. Obviously, we don't you know, host events and have sales that way. But since I've been working with you, we have increased our sales. My team handles everything. And with what systems and processes we have, all I do now is just sort of track KPIs and fix anywhere that's declining and not inclining, right? So that's a powerful piece to all this. And, you know, if you were coaching or mentoring somebody on a new business and they were looking to either make their first hire or make their first platform 
purchase, what do you think they should do? Should they hire an employee? Should they learn how to work a CRM system? Should they try to build an app? What do they do? Oh my gosh. Yes, yes, and yes is part of the equation. So, all right, and it depends on the type of business they're building. Only the most people, this is how they get started, is they get started and they start doing whatever it is, right? As a solopreneur, and they're out there and they're beating the pavement as well as doing the admin, as well as figuring out the new technology, as well as doing the paperwork, and they're looking to do everything. I will tell you that most people, when I say, hey, do you have a personal assistant? They go, no. The second question is, do you think you could use one? And they go, I think so. And the third statement is, I should say, or the follow-up statement is, if you already think you might be able to use a personal assistant, you're already years past when you should have gotten one. Mm -hmm. And the key is that most people that start a business are self-starters, period. It's by definition. And with that, they already are working at a higher level than any assistant is earning per hour. Does that make sense? So their highest and best use of their time is earning 20, 30, 40, 50, 100, 200, $300 an hour. And so what they're doing is they're doing $10, $15, and $20 an hour work when they, are, when they should be earning and they're worth $100 an hour minimum. That's the equation. So every hour you're actually doing all these other tasks that aren't the highest and best use of your time, you're losing $80 an hour plus in the negative. And that's where most people miss the boat is they don't hire a team or build a team or hire assistants earlier in their career. So the first thing I would do is let's get an assistant on board. And even if it's part-time, and most people are like, I don't have the money for it. So here's the thing. One is you can get a virtual assistant. You can get a, even a live assistant for pennies on the dollar that most people think. And you don't have to have a year's supply of you know their full year salary in the bank before you hire them day one. All you need is the next month. At yeah, best, I struggled with that for a while. So you know whatever their monthly salary might be, that's about what you could start with. For me, I started with negotiations, and one of the keys that I learned in that I applied in real estate that made me a ton of money is negotiation skill sets. Knowing how to negotiate is where most people make their money in real estate. It's creating the deal, not finding the deal. It's creating the deal, not and making the money when you buy, not when you sell. There's a whole lot of real estate education in that. Only learning negotiations, and so I applied it to building my team. And so much of my team early on made money through com- basically commissionable events. Or they would be part of this where it would be a barter system or a trade of value. Hey. I'll help you support your, you in other ways. Just come and do this for me. And so a lot of my early assistants, a lot of my, like I was doing real estate. And so I had an extra apartment. Hey, go stay in the extra apartment and you, you can <laughs> fix it up to your liking. I'll pay for all the supplies you pay. You do the work and I'll give you a free rent. And, oh, and by the way, you'll work for me as my assistant for a fraction of the cost. Would that be okay? So it's a win, win, win. 
And those kind of bartering and negotiations enabled me to get all these extra high quality people in my arena long before I felt like I could afford it. Yeah, I should have made my first assistant hire probably two or three years earlier. It would have would have catapulted my success. So the same way it did whenever I actually hired the assistant, it catapulted me. Because now you can separate what your active income-producing activities are versus what just needs to be done. As a solopreneur, you can't figure that out without hiring someone because you just know that you're doing all of it and all of it has to be done no matter what. So once you right. make that first hire, you're only – if you learn and do this properly, you know how you should hire an assistant like the way Paul showed me – then you should only be spending your time now on active, you know, income-producing items and procedures, right? So now, whatever you were spending on the assistant, you just doubled and tripled within the same amount of time that you had them trade in. So it was super powerful. Now we've got a project manager, we've got an assistant, we've got a VA team of six. Like, we're growing exponentially. One of the things that most people struggle with as well is that they don't know what they're going to do with their assistant once they hire them. And what I can tell you is the... It is so valuable to have them sit there and do nothing. More valuable than not having one. Yeah. And that's yes. what people don't get is that, is that them sitting there, you will figure it out and you will find things. If you're waiting to hire them to create that whole list, you're never going to get it done. It's just in the moment you go, oh, here's something that I want you to do and you pass it off to them. And when they're sitting next to you, when they're right there virtually or live, when they're available, you'll figure more and more things out. And in that process, learn how to delegate, learn what you could delegate, and start systematizing that process. Before they're there to be available, you just don't do it, nor do you create the systems because you're basically creating a system to hand off to yourself. And then you go, well, this is ridiculous. Let me just do it. Yeah. And you don't create the system yet. So hire the person. It's worth its weight in gold. Because then you'll figure out the systems and you'll, and overnight, over that first month to six weeks is when you'll usually, oh, this is how I do it. And you pass it on. One of the crazy things that I learned is that what I thought was going to take them forever, take them seconds. Exactly. And who knew? So I would like, here's a whole day of planning for you. Here's a whole day of projects and pass it off to them. An hour later, they'd be like, what else do you want me to do? I'm done. I was like, holy, are you kidding? And because we just don't know when it's not our focus, it's not our skill set and our superpower. When we do it, it's, we struggle with it. Our assistant, the things that we don't want to do is their superpower. So they're able yeah. to do it so much better, so much more efficiently than we ever could. So other than like the actual work that it's put into being an entrepreneur and to build your own business, let's talk about the emotional part. Have you ever felt like you failed and that you couldn't get back up? Yeah, I know right now we've probably got a viewer that's watching or listening that we've got a lot of guys who are on the incline right now. So they're getting geared up to now hire their assistant, but there's somebody out there that just got hit pretty hard and you know wrecked their car, something happened, they lost a bunch of money, got screwed by a partner. So what do we do for those people that just went through that turmoil? Because I remember multiple times I was ready to stop, and I, and I did quit. I had to get back up on my feet. And How do you do that? We've all been there. And I talk about taking a leap of faith just from going from point A to point B. Even when you're feeling positive, you're taking that leap that is totally blind. And you've got to do that to succeed. 
And most people think, oh yeah, I'm going to take that big leap of faith and that'll be great and I'll reach the pinnacle. Well, the truth of the matter is you need to take about another 200 leaps to continue in your process. That every time you think you're done, you're going to be taking another leap of faith. But then things hit you. And for me, you know, COVID was a, was a huge hit for, for my business. We had developed the whole business and created it to be live. I love people. I love traveling. And I just said, all right, that's a great business. I'm in. And we created the whole thing to be live and live focus. And then we got hit with COVID with a lockdown. And I had to, I had to change things up. I had to create a whole new visual platform and a whole new world. We did it, but it was a lot of heavy lifting. Simultaneously, my wife and Katerina's mother got diagnosed with cancer. And it was basically the same week as COVID hit. And it was a one-two punch. As far as I was concerned, I was staying strong and supporting all the children and, uh, all cat siblings, as well as holding it together for my wife and then holding it together for me in the business and recognizing that my wife, and this was a death sentence. This wasn't just a subtle, oh, she got sick and sick with cancer. This was one of the rarest cancers in the world. And so it was a pretty devastating blow. And so what do you do when something like that happens? One is I got focused in on helping others. When you're down in the dumps, when you're struggling, it's an internal process. Your chit-chat will take you off in tangents that we don't even want to talk about here. And we have all know those tangents. You've got to take yourself and make your focus external. Focus on the people around you. And so I leaned into my clients. I leaned into the mastermind, the Maverick community, and leaned heavy and just what can I be doing more for them? What can I be doing more for them? And in that way, focus my energy external rather than internal because internal was a dark space that was struggling. So one is to recognize that there's tons of people out there that are looking for you to be their guiding light and looking for, to help you as well. And so lean into your society, your community, and when you don't have one, find one. There are people just walking down the street that you're passing that are there to help you. I promise you. Talk to them. Communicate with them. The second thing is recognize that one foot in front of the other. The only way you lose is by quitting. The only way you lose is by stopping. 2008, I was in real estate. 2008 was the last major downturn in our economy. And most people talk about that were in the real estate game. It hit everyone sideways. It was like, oh my gosh, what just happened? And so people were losing. I was heavily invested in real estate. Everybody was losing properties. Foreclosures were through the roof. The mortgage business, 50% of the mortgage brokers left the industry. 50% of the realtors left the industry. This was major. And... I remember reflecting that I, I just have to keep going. I, I Stopping or losing was not an option. 10 years later, 2018, I remember I meet this guy at a networking event and he comes up and I was sponsoring the event. So he came to talk to me and he starts talking about, oh man, I'm thinking about getting back into real estate. And, and man, it was really, it's been a hard road. And 2008, I lost like $10 million and and my wife, I had fights with my wife, and so now we're divorced, and my kids don't even talk to me anymore. And, and as he's expressing all this, like, amazing, like, pain, 
I'm reflecting in my head. You know how people are talking to you and you have another conversation going on in your brain? Well, I'm reflecting <laughs> in my brain and I'm saying, wait a second. I, I, and I'm doing calculations, but I'd never done the calculations. I lost about $10 million in 2008, 2010. Wait, so I should have like started having fights with my wife, which devastated our relationship. And I, we should have been divorced and I should not be speaking to my children. Like all this started coming together for me. I'm like, but none of that happened for me. I built up whole nother industries, whole nother businesses and kept on moving forward and never stopped to calculate what my losses were. It's like you're at the poker table and you're calculating how many chips you're losing rather than focusing on what cards you're playing at that hand. It's a fool's game. Don't count your losses. Take focus on what you could be doing to win tomorrow or win today instead of reflecting on yesterday. And that's this guy got so caught up in yesterday that he forgot about the present and the future. And in that moment, I recognized what I had done over the, that 10 years is I stayed completely focused, one foot in front of the other on what I could have control over, what I could do, and just kept moving forward rather than counting, ever counting what was being lost. Really yep. key. So you made a decision. You made a to decision say the least. to succeed. I've noticed that even though I grew up with an amazing father like you to teach me that you just go and you succeed and there's no try or there's no failure that you have to put in your mind, people think, oh, if this doesn't work out, I failed and I have to try something new. So it's a decision to succeed. It's not a let's try and then you fail it's you succeed right. and you keep going yeah and understanding that you're not special this is human nature and everybody's going through it it's just the way you respond to it or train yourself to respond to it paul do you know the uh that psychological analogy where someone's talking about uh, stocks where people will run from pain and not sell the lesser of the stocks that's declining versus um yeah can you explain that any there so and there's a few different things that come to mind. Uh, specify which you want to talk to me about. Yeah, so people instinctively run from pain, right? It's, it's natural. That's, that's what somebody will do. So uh, the simple analogy I've heard before is that you've got a stock that goes $2 up, you know, meaning it's increasing, and then one's gone $2 down. Well, they, they'll hold this one knowing that it can keep going down, and they run from that pain instead of selling it. While they could right. balance out their portfolio right now, they'll take the, the gain and then let the loss keep going out of fear because they don't want to feel the pain and, and take it. Right. You know, I, I was talking to somebody recently who had bought Amazon stock way back like 20 years ago and they bought the stock and then when it went from, I think it was like $5 to $10, they sold it. They doubled their money. They were all excited and not recognizing how much further it could go. So we calculate those gains in that way and we're like, oh man, that was a good gain. Let me take my money and run rather than even risking playing it and going further with it. And our losses we hold on to. And because the sale of it, as soon as we sell stock that's losing and it happens in real estate all the time, you got to learn when to, you know, the old, the old expression with poker, you know, you got to know when to hold and when to fold. It's you got to know that stuff. And most people who succeed understand that you got to know when to cut your losses. 
most people that struggle with it, and I've consulted with stockbrokers, commodities exchange brokers, who this is one of their major challenges. When things are going great, everyone's like, yeah, I'm a brilliant guy. I got all the answers. And when things get tough is when they just crash and burn because when things go tough, they start chasing the, the lost dollar and they forget how to play the game. And so they don't want to take the losses. They hold on to it. They, they'll ride the train till it's dead to a complete stop. And that's a challenge with real yeah. estate. You know, to go to the table with 20 grand that you've got to put down just to sell your property, that's a painful thing. Only it's more painful to hold on to it for another five years until the market shifts, paying five or $10,000 every single year in your cost just to hold on to it. Absolutely, yeah. I was in a situation like that way back when. Actually, it was in that 2006, 2008. I started seeing the writing on the wall, and I was in big. I was getting, there's a component when you're first creating just major success where you think you're, you have all the answers and nothing could ever go wrong. Yeah, so I was in that phase. And I was playing huge. I had about $10 million in commitment of property where we were doing multi-million dollar constructions on a golf course. And this was the beginning of 2006. Now, as we got to 2007, we started seeing the writing on the wall and at least multi-million dollar homes may not be the market just then. And we didn't know it was going to crash as bad as it was, but it definitely started seeing, all right, this may not play out the way it's supposed to. And I had a choice, either hold on to the properties and continue or lose some of my deposit money and take my losses and run. And I decided, I went through all the calculations, went through the 10-year plan and went, yeah, I got to cut my losses. And it was about a about a $200,000 of pure just write-off. Like, all right, wow. <laughs> take my hits and run. And I had some people that were next to me in that development that didn't do that. They decided, no, 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 no. They, I was an idiot. I was a fool. Why would I ever do that? And they stayed the course only to end up losing another couple hundred thousand dollars in HOA fees, golf course fees, holding costs while they were waiting for the economy to turn back around in this particular area. And it never did. And that's a huge lesson. I'd rather cut my losses and go win on at another table to stay with the poker analogy than ever, ever, ever stay the course and just watch myself bleed to death. Yeah, absolutely. I've got friends inside the real estate industry that I saw that were doing great things. And then all of a sudden they had one rehab or one flip that was going south. And all of a sudden they're inside of a house swinging a hammer again, mowing the yard, you know, inside the project doing things. I was like, why are you doing this? They're like, well, I'm upside down. I'm not going to make any money. What about the other project? Well, it's fine. Well, great. Just go do another project and move forward. And just accept the loss and go on. Don't try to sit there and work backwards trying to resolve that and salvage it. Because he was just running from the pain that, oh, no, I'm going to lose you know $20,000 or something small, too. Right. It wasn't something that shouldn't have been addressed that way, right? It wasn't a bankruptcy. It was just a, you know, you should move forward with your business and make more money. Right. 
figure out and ask yourself the question, how can I? It's one of the biggest questions I, I teach our clientele is how can I? How could I make 20 grand in the next 30 days? Rather than chasing it down the rabbit hole, how can I make an additional 20 grand in the next 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, which will make up for it? That's a much better question, a much better analogy to follow and, and process to follow that'll work. For yeah, it you. forces growth. Yeah. All right. Well, this has been excellent, Paul. Uh, I'm excited to see the whole Maverick universe here soon. I guess we get to see you in a couple weeks sometime We're at the next event. Here, here. Uh, then I'll be at the three-day boot camp as well, like always. So. Beautiful. It's me. Here, <laughs> yeah. here. So anyone uh, that wants to see this crazy couple hang out with <laughs> us, come hang out. I absolutely, uh, it's going to be a pleasure. And uh, our next one's coming up around the corner. And do we have time to give a link? What should we Absolutely. be doing? Yep. All so right. the, everyone can find you in the link below in the caption. And also his social media is going to be there as well. So follow him, be friends, and you will definitely get something out of it. I do every time I watch his videos. So, and every time I talk to him on the phone, but <laughs> thanks baby. Thank you, Paul. I appreciate it. Like always appreciate you as a mentor, a father-in-law or soon to be. <laughs> okay. <laughs> when is that happening? Is is there something I need to know? Wait a second. Wait, wait, wait. So we tease a lot, only we're waiting for, uh, you know, Chris, any, any day now, any day now, we'll see. But uh, they are just a powerhouse couple. It's always an honor to talk to you guys. And, um, yeah, obviously we're all family here for everyone that's listening in. And I want you to know that uh, you couldn't find a better couple and a powerhouse couple here anywhere in the world, they are destined for greatness. Uh, oh, and it's just a, amazing to watch. We're going to bring everybody along for the journey and let you watch our uphills and downhills because that's just part of this journey. But we're going to strive through all of it. So I'm glad you're here, glad you're listening. I hope you got a lot of value out of this, ladies and gentlemen. And stay tuned for next week's episode. We post every single Friday. And go to our social media handle, which is NYC Meets Bama on Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok. See you guys later. Bye. Thanks, everybody. See you guys.